Good morning, everyone. Glad you've joined us today. As Elliot said, we're beginning a new series of messages today. It's a five-part series. We're going to focus on how to accelerate your spiritual growth. This past week, I was talking with Matt Crystal, who is our youth pastor, about his, uh, their five-year-old son. And Matt was pretty excited because, as he said, Kyson is now entering Leap 5. And I said, Leap 5? I've, I've never heard of that. Well, it turns out there's a book called Wonder Weeks that has divided the first 18 months or so of a child's life into 10 stages of mental growth called leaps. And there's even an app, of course, to help you understand each leap so that you can figure out how to make the most of the development of your child at each stage. And what I liked about this approach, as I heard more about, is that it focuses on the mental development of your child. What's going on on the inside of your child? When our two kids were young, the focus was primarily on the physical growth. I mean, where did your child land on that percentile chart, you know, of weight and, and length? But if you've been a parent of young ones, you know that uh, pretty early on in parenting, it becomes clear that what, what's going on on the inside of your child is, in fact, going to make up most of your parenting time and effort and concern. Now, of course, we still want to see them grow into healthy children, grow physically, but It's how they think, and it's what they value, and it's how they relate to other people that will end up really shaping their future. Now that our two kids are 27 and 29, the physical part of growth, of course, is long gone, but they are still growing on the inside, and that growth is impacting every part of their life, and it's the same with us. The question we're going to address is, how do you grow on the inside? How does that kind of growth occur? This is our theme passage for this series. It's found in 1 Timothy 4, verses 7 through 8, and this is what it says. Train yourself to be godly. For physical training, it is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The word that the Bible uses to describe the kind of inside growth that we really need is godliness. And that word means simply to think about life the way God thinks about life, from his angle on life, to value what God values and in the order he values it, to see and relate to other people the way God sees and initiates relationship with other people. So the question is, how does this kind of growth occur? How do you become godly? Well, you become spiritually fit the same way you become physically fit. It requires training. I love the way another translation of this verse describes training. It says it this way, take time and trouble to keep yourself physically or spiritually fit, rather. I think that's a great description of training. Training of any kind always just takes time and trouble. You have to carve out the time if you're going to get trained, and you're going to have to press through some of the I don't want to do this anymore moments if you're going to keep on the track of training. But in addition to carving out the time and putting up with the trouble that training requires, you have to know what to do if you're going to be trained. And that's really the focus on this series. What is it that that we need to do if we're going to be trained in godliness? Jesus outlined the training process in a statement that he made on the night of his arrest. He had asked three of his disciples to come with him to the Garden of Gethsemane and to watch out for him and for themselves as he went off at a distance and prayed personally. And we read this in Matthew 26, 40 through 41, about what happened. It says, Then he, speaking of Jesus, returned to his disciples, and he found them sleeping. Could you men not keep watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. 
And then this is the statement that he makes. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. I think this one statement identifies three essential elements for spiritual growth. We're going to look at these this morning. Element number one is desire. The spirit is willing. If we're going to grow, the spirit must be willing. That's because spiritual growth cannot be forced. It has to be a choice. You may want me to grow, I may want you to grow, but we can't affect each other in that area. We, we have to personally decide for ourselves whether or not we really want to put in the time and the trouble to be spiritually fit or not. It always begins with a simple desire to grow. Well, what does that desire look like? In our culture, we often equate strong desire with strong emotions, and that may be the case. But strong emotions don't always translate into action. We can feel things very strongly. We can cry lots of tears and still not do anything about it. Feeling bad about not growing does not mean you are, in fact, willing to grow. I've learned this over time. I've encountered a lot of people that, boy, they really felt strongly and had deep emotions about their desire to grow, but they just never really did much about it. I've learned that emotions do not equal desire. Time and trouble do. Time and trouble equal desire. So if you're not willing to carve out the time to grow, no matter how much you profess, I really want to grow, I really want to grow, I really do, you really don't want to grow. You've got to carve out the time. And if you're willing to push through the emotional ups and downs and go through trouble and still keep growing, well, then growth is important to you. Growth, not feeling good, is your real intent, your desire. If you keep not having time for God, then no matter how strongly you feel, you just don't want to grow. Now, as it relates to the men that Jesus was talking about, these three disciples, Jesus said the Spirit is willing. He knew that the three of these men really did intend to grow. They really did want to follow him. They had spent the last three years of their life demonstrating the seriousness of their desire. But now their true desire, their willing spirit, had hit a wall. And the wall was their body. And that brings us to the second element of spiritual growth, and that is habits. The spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And so spiritual growth requires repeated and sustained effort, habits. And that's because our body usually underperforms our intentions, not just in spiritual growth, but really in every area of life. We, we tend to think that we can do more than we actually can. And so we try to do more than we usually do. So the disciples were no exception. Hours before Jesus invited these three disciples to the garden, they had all stated their commitment to stay with Jesus to the end, no matter what, what that meant. But Jesus knew, he, he knew what was going to unfold in the future, and he knew that This was not, in fact, going to happen. And so he told Peter very specifically that before dawn occurred, before the rooster crowed, Peter himself was going to deny Jesus not just once, but three separate times. So had Peter been insincere when he proclaimed that he'd be willing to die for Jesus? Was he just saying words and didn't really mean them? No, he he was sincere. But Peter had wrongly assumed that his intense desire and willingness was enough. 
The reality was, in the moment, his body took off. He, his body was not ready. What's so important about the body? Well, the body is where our habits live. That's where our habits live. For example, at this stage in my life, if I don't make a regular habit of exercising my core, my back will tell me. I mean, honestly, within two weeks, if I, if I start slacking just for two weeks, my back will start acting up because my body is a record of my habits. If I make a habit of eating poorly, my body will record those decisions and display them for everybody to see. <laughs> There's no getting away from it. I, ha- well, I don't have to say anything. People will know. Hmm. Been hitting the junk food restaurants again, are we? They'll know. And if I want to grow stronger, my body won't suddenly become stronger because I want to be stronger. I'll need to develop an exercise habit, a lifting habit to strengthen my body over time. It is the habits of our body that determine our weakness or strength, both physically and spiritually. So Peter declares his willingness of spirit to commit himself to be loyal to Jesus. And Jesus' response is to say, okay, Peter, let me give you something to do that involves your body. I want you to stay awake for one hour. Okay, let, let's, let's start at the beginning. You, you want to make this big step? In just a few hours, let's see if you can do this little one. Stay awake for one hour and pray for the strength that's going to be needed to face what's coming. And he couldn't do that. The point is is clear. It is not enough to be willing. It's important to be willing, but it's not enough. Every commitment that your spirit makes must be backed up and supported by the habits of your body. That's true about every commitment you make, whether it's a commitment to Jesus Christ or any other commitment. For example, when I made the commitment of marriage to my wife, Rebecca, nothing was said to me at the time about the habits of vacuuming or budgeting. That was not included in the vows that I made. But it's those and many, many other habits for me and for her that support the commitment, the willingness of our spirit 31 years ago. They support the commitment that I made and she made in her heart. And likewise, when I committed myself to follow Jesus, I wasn't thinking about, okay, what's my plan going to be for spending daily time in God's Word? That wasn't a thought at all. I had been convinced of the truth of God's Word and was grateful for the gift of forgiveness offered through Jesus Christ, and I accepted that gift. It wasn't much more complex than that. And I made a commitment to follow Him, but what I've learned over time is If I'm going to maintain that commitment, there are habits like reading God's Word that I'm going to have to develop if I'm going to support that commitment. And the disciples had wrongly assumed that a willing spirit was all they really needed. But Jesus knew better. He knew that they weren't just spirits, they were bodies as well. And if their body didn't get involved in the process, they were not going to survive whatever their spirit wanted to do. Now, we, we make this same mistake the, the disciples did. To us, it seems like if we want to change, all we really need is willingness. And so when we fail to change in the past, we think, well, we really weren't that serious. This time, I'm really serious. I mean, my tears are, I've cried now for five minutes. That's how serious I am. 
I really want to change this time. This time it's different. And so whatever it is, we, we kind of grit our teeth and with great intensity and sincere desire, we say, you know what? From this point forward, I'm going to stop lying or I'm going to stop lusting or I'm going to stop being so angry. And we're really serious and we, we just try and, and we avoid whatever it is that we're trying to avoid and then within a few days, maybe a few weeks, we fail again. And usually at that point, or after some really several attempts like that, people just say, you know what, I can't do this. And they, they give up. I think this is one of the reasons why people make a commitment to Christ, and then within a period of a year or two, they, they're nowhere to be seen. Because they made the commitment, but they thought that things would just automatically change, and they didn't realize the time and the trouble that was going to be required to back up that commitment. So they get discouraged and they say, this just doesn't work. Well, thinking that you can just stop lying or stop lusting or stop being angry or any other thing you're trying to change just by wanting to, it's kind of like deciding, you know, to bench press 300 pounds and then giving up when you can't. Now, we're, we're too weak. Well, I'll speak for myself. I'm too weak to bench press 300 pounds. We're, we're too weak to do that. Just like we're too weak to stop being angry suddenly or stop lusting or stop lying or wh whatever it is. We need habits and exercises that strengthen our godliness just like we need exercises to help us lift more. In a book C.S. Lewis wrote called Screwtape Letters, he compiles some what might be um, imaginary communications between a senior devil and a junior devil instructing the junior devil in the art of temptation. The premise is that we have been assigned devils or demons to tempt us. Scripture seems to support this idea. And so C.S. Lewis imagines kind of a, a training ranking where those with great temptation experience instruct those with less temptation experience, and these letters in this book are what they might instruct them on based on our struggle with temptation. And in one particular chapter that I want to read a quote from, the junior devil who's been assigned to a particular patient, a person, uh, is panicking because it turns out his patient has just made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. They've just become a Christian. And in the mind of the junior devil, all is lost now. All of the work, all of the, the goals, everything has been, you know, now it's gone because now Jesus is, is in this person's life and it's all over. Well, and here's what the senior devil says to the junior devil who is panicking about this. Quote, there is no need to despair. All of the habits of the patient, both mental and bodily, are still in our favor. That's a very powerful statement. Very accurate. What, it, what the senior devil is saying is, this person's been a Christian for what? How long? Like a week now? How long were they in our camp before then? Two decades, three, four. You see, that the thing is, is they have patterns of living. They have patterns of thinking. And they approach life based on the way they've been raised and what they've learned, and, and we've been able to influence that. And just because they made a decision to follow Jesus Christ doesn't mean that automatically all those patterns have now reverted and they've got brand new patterns. No, they haven't done those patterns. 
They haven't worked on those habits, and so they haven't become a part of their life. So don't panic. If we can keep them from really working on new patterns and new habits of thinking, then they're going to keep behaving and thinking and acting like they did before, no matter what they say about Jesus. This is so true. People make a commitment to Jesus, and they, they don't begin to develop new patterns, and over time, they, they're just basically about the same. They don't really change. It's our habits, not our one-time decisions that make all of the difference in our life. You see, when you begin to change the habits, the daily and the weekly life of a person, that's where change lives or dies. And in this series, we're going to be examining five of the Christian habits that God has given us to, to grow us, to accelerate our spiritual growth. So desire, habits, and then now number three, tools. Jesus said to them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. Watch for what? Were they to watch for the arrival of the soldiers to arrest Jesus so that they could warn Jesus, so, Jesus, the soldiers are coming. It's time for us to mount our defense. Is that the kind of watching Jesus wanted? Well, it doesn't appear to be that way because, well, that's what Peter thought it was. They, he thought they were watching for that because when the soldiers did arrive, Peter pulls out the sword that he had brought with him and he swung at the first thing, first person he could find, ended up taking off the ear of a servant of the high priest. And Jesus rebuked him for doing this and he told him to put his sword away and said, this is not what my kingdom's about. So that wasn't the kind of watching that Jesus had in mind. You know, keep an eye out for the soldiers so that we have time to mount an adequate defense. Well, were they supposed to watch again for the arrival of the soldiers so that Jesus and disciples could, rather than mount a defense, they could make good an escape? Was that the kind of watching, the purpose of it? Well, no, that doesn't appear to be it because as soon as the soldiers arrive, Jesus walks right up to them and surrenders with no resistance, no running. So what then did Jesus want them to watch for? If they weren't to watch for the soldiers. What were they supposed to watch for? Well, you, you notice what it is when you look at the purpose of the watching. Jesus said they were to watch so that why? They would not fall into temptation. They were to be on the lookout not for the visible forces of Pilate's garrison, but for the invisible forces of Satan. They didn't know it, but tonight was the night when the epic battle between God and Satan would be fought, and over the next couple of days would be won. How, how would they ever perceive that? How, how would they ever have a chance to, to notice what the enemy was doing to, to tempt them to run away at that time? Well, the only way they could have a chance of seeing that invisible war begin to unfold was by using one of the tools that God has given us for that purpose, and that tool is prayer. That's why Jesus says, watch and pray. The way it actually goes is, you're going to have to open your eyes, and to do that, you're going to need to pray. You're going to need to close your eyes and pray. See, prayer was the tool that would allow them to see this invisible realm. Prayer is a tool that God has given us to help us perceive what is invisible, 
while we are still living in the middle of everything that is visible. Prayer will no longer be needed in heaven because then we will see God face to face. There will just be conversations. We won't be praying, we'll be talking. But until that day, if we're going to have any chance of watching and perceiving more than just the physical world around us, we must pray. And if we are going to see the temptations that stalk us before they pounce us and overtake us, we must pray. Each of the five habits that we will consider in this series uses a tool that God has given us for our spiritual growth. So in this case, the prayer we're talking about, the first tool is prayer. That's, that's the tool. Prayer is the tool, and praying is the habit of using that tool. One of the things that's unique about us and all of creation as human beings that distinguishes us is the fact that we use tools. Animals don't use tools. We use tools all the time. I mean, unlike animals, we use a fork and a knife to get food into our mouth. We use tractors and garden tools to grow and harvest our food. We use pots and pans and stoves to cook and prepare our food. We use hammers and saws to build our houses. We use books and computers to learn and cars and planes to travel. In fact, as our tools advance, so do we. But not all of our tools are made of wood or steel or plastics or composites. That's because not all of our needs are physical. So it's no surprise that when it comes to the deepest and the most persistent of all human experiences, that is our curiosity and need for God, we find a tool at the very center of this. We humans have been praying and trying to pray since the beginning of recorded history. Now, most tools that we use are either for doing something or getting something, but prayer is a tool that is for becoming something, for becoming godly. And it's as we pick up this tool and pray that God is working his ways and his thoughts, weaving them into our soul. And it's as we pray that we are working and weaving our ways into what He is doing all around us. It's as we close our eyes to the visible world and pray to the invisible God that we begin to notice more about what God is doing around us. And we begin to participate more in what He is doing and wants us to be a part of. And it's as we pray that we really do begin to see the temptations that are stalking us long before they arrive at our doorstep and surprise us and overwhelm us. But as with any tool, we must learn how to use it. We're not born knowing how to use tools. We learn how to use our tools. We must learn how to use them properly in order for them to accomplish their intended purposes. Right now, my granddaughter Millie is learning to use a fork. Here she is trying to figure out how to use this thing. And it's a lot of fun watching her learn how to do it. It's a mess, obviously. And I've seen her at many occasions get kind of frustrated with the fork, and then she'll just set it back down and use her hands and grab the banana or whatever there is in front of her. 
And I think, I think we tend to do the same kind of thing with prayer sometimes. I mean, we try. We pick up prayer. We, we try to pray, and but we just don't know what to say. And so we kind of sit there in silence, and we say a few things. It's like, no, that doesn't sound right, or, oh, that's ridiculous, or, okay. And then we go off on our day. We set it aside, and we just don't learn how to use it. It feels clumsy, so we get frustrated. And we then start our days without any prayer. Then we move through our days largely in silence before God. Oh, if there's a desperate need or something comes up, we'll, we'll shoot a prayer up. But we, we really don't pick up the tool and, and try to use it in any way. And so our spiritual growth suffers. And our ability to see and perceive anything more than the visible reality is diminished. Like any tool, it, it takes instruction and it takes practice in order to get any good at using it. I think the best instruction for prayer in all of Scripture is the Lord's Prayer. I think it's, if you're beginning in the use of prayer, this is a perfect place to start. If you've been praying for 40 years, the Lord's Prayer is continually going to be your help and guide as you continue to learn how to pray. You know, when the disciples heard Jesus pray, it was clear to them that this wasn't like the prayers they had been hearing growing up. When Jesus prayed, his prayers had, had depth to them and power to them. And so after they heard him pray on one occasion, they say, could you teach us how to pray like that? And so in response, Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 19 through 13, or 9 through 13. This, then, is how you should pray, Jesus said. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now notice, Jesus didn't give them a set of instructions on prayer. He gave them an actual prayer. This is so helpful and so kind. What he's saying is, start here. Pray these words. If you don't know what to do, pray these words. Now, Jesus didn't have in mind that we would just pray these words mindlessly and never expand our prayer vocabulary beyond this. That's why he said at the beginning, this is how you should pray, not this is what you should pray. He's intending these words to, to be the beginning point. What he's saying is allow these words to form the framework on which you expand your prayer vocabulary. Start here and then expand. I think the Lord's Prayer is, is kind of like training wheels for praying. It takes the pressure off what to say. And it helps us get our own voice over time. So oftentimes, if I'm praying and I'm just, I'm stuck. It's like, uh, I don't know what else to say. And I'll just go back to this. I'll put the training wheels back on and I'll just start working my way through this. It is so helpful. It starts simply with our Father in heaven. It's such a powerful way to begin. Not Almighty God, ruler of heaven and earth, but our Father, who is the Almighty God, ruler of heaven and earth, but he says, call me Father. By beginning this way, Jesus is saying that the first thing we understand about prayer is, is its real purpose, its real intent. If you don't know why God wants us to pray, then it you're not going to get very good at it. 
We tend to think prayer is about us getting God to give us what we need, so we pray when we need stuff. Now, in part, that's true. I mean, God invites us to bring our needs to Him and ask for help. But by beginning this way and saying, call me Father, as our Father in heaven, meeting our needs doesn't even begin to come close to defining the real purpose of praying. The real purpose of praying is relationship. You know, as a father, I'm a father. I did provide for the needs of my kids, but for me, as for any father, any mother, it's not about the dollars. It's about the relationship. You know, it interests me, about every year they come out with a new figure for how much it costs now to raise a kid from birth all the way up through college. Now, what is it, 300000 400000 or some crazy number like that? The, the point for us as parents is like, whatever. You know, I mean, we're going to do whatever, but we love our kids. We're not like, you know what, this, this was a bad financial decision. <laughs> now, in the teenage years, you may struggle with that, but... But your heart goes deeper than just the dollars. It's not about the dollars. You know, if, if all my kids ever really wanted to talk to me about was something that they needed from me financially, yeah, I, it would be sad. I would be saddened. God's purpose in prayer is to have a relationship with us, to be our heavenly Father, not our heavenly vending machine, our heavenly Father. So don't be intimidated by prayer. You're approaching your father. Now, you may have had a bad father personally, but this is not a bad father. This is the best of all fathers. And God is not listening with a critical ear. You know, those of you that have been parents of little ones, you know when, you're, when your kids start to talk, you don't criticize them when they don't pronounce the words exactly and they get the pronouns mixed up and the grammar's messed up. I mean, you might correct them to help them, but it is so cute when they're talking like that. You know, we're at the stage where about every third or fourth sentence that Millie says, you know, our daughter has to translate for us. Here's what she's saying. Mothers and fathers can hear this. Our Heavenly Father, Scripture says, He knows what we're saying even when we don't know what the words should be. So don't be nervous. Don't be, oh, I got it wrong. Oh, no. The Heavenly Father's going, keep talking. It's cute. Keep going. You'll get better. Keep going. Hallowed be thy name. Hallowed means holy, sacred, which means unlike any other, unique. God, you are not like us. You're not just a a bigger version of of a human being. There is no one like you. There is no one as wise as you, no one as good as you, no one as loving as you. So once in prayer, we get our mind wrapped around who it is we are talking to. Then we say, your kingdom come. Father, this, this day is about advancing your agenda. I've got lots of agendas. That's part of being human, the way you've made me. I've got all kinds of plans, but you know that the big point of today is that you have plans. So in the middle of all of my plans, help me see what you're doing. I know your purpose is to advance the kingdom of Jesus, to advance the good news about Jesus. So 
whatever happens to me today, Father, I know it's not the point. I know you love me, but I am not at the center of the universe. The point is to help others prepare to meet you. So help me notice them. Help me notice ways I can love people and help the ones that you put in my path today. Your kingdom come. Because whatever I do with my kingdom, it's going to be gone. Your kingdom will endure and your will be done on earth just like it's done in heaven. Father, the big question today is not do what do I want to do, but what do you want me to do? Help me be quick to know what to say and what to do. And when I get off track to confess that to you and if I need to to other people. I want to respond to you the way the angels do in heaven. Not with all kinds of yes buts and delays and questions, but I just want, I want to do what you want me to do today. Give us today our daily bread. Father, every single day I've been alive, you've provided food for me. I'm so grateful. And I don't take that provision for granted. But not only do I need food today and money today from your hand, I as I think through the meetings that I have and the assignments that I have today, I, I ask for your help to help me think clearly, to work with energy and, and joy. I can't do this on my own, with my own wisdom and with my own strength. I, I need your help. Please provide help for me today as I do my tasks. And then forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Father, bring to mind any sin that I've committed in the past 24 hours, and, and I will confess it. And then, Father, I, I now turn my mind to think about the people that, I'm, that have wronged me, some of them today, some of them years ago, and I forgive them. Because, Father, the last thing I want to do is hold a debt over someone's head when you have held no debt over mine. And so, for this person, as I'm thinking about them right now, for the 584th time, I forgive them. I let this go. Help me to let it go. Thank you for letting my sin go. And Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice that purchased my forgiveness. And then, Father, lead me not into temptation today. Deliver me from the evil one. Father, I, I'm weak. You, you know all of my weaknesses even better than I do. You know that because I'm human, I, like everyone else, is just one perfect, horrible set of circumstances away from falling. You know my temptation limits. Oh, God, keep me far from them. Protect me from evil today. Keep me off even beginning on a path that's going to head to this. Help me, I pray. In the name of Jesus, amen. Prayer is a God-given tool. And the Lord's Prayer, I think, is one of the best places to start developing the habit of prayer. So start there. Maybe all you can do right now is just read through it thoughtfully. Do that. And then get up and move on with your day. And then tomorrow, the next day, try to take a phrase and just think about what else, what other words could you say in that category? And do that. And then keep growing. But you know, there, there's more help in Scripture than just the Lord's Prayer when it comes to this, this tool of praying. 
The book of Psalms in the Old Testament, right in the middle of your Bible, is an entire toolbox of prayer. 150 carefully crafted prayers that deal with the incredibly wide range of our struggles and our triumphs in conversation with God. I mean, everything you've struggled with, and you don't know how to talk to God about it, there's a psalm for it. So if you want to expand your prayer vocabulary, you know, sometimes you listen to people and they've been praying the same thing for 20 years now. If you want to expand your prayer vocabulary and your prayer grammar, the Psalms contain a lifetime's worth of lessons. So just start reading them and using them to help you. In fact, this year I decided that I really, knew, I really want to grow more in this area of prayer. I want to develop a, a, a bigger toolbox of prayers. And so I, I found this book by Eugene Peterson. Eugene Peterson is the one who did the message translation of the Bible, if you've heard of that. And he, he wrote a book back in the 80s called Praying with the Psalms. And it's just, it's got every day of the year, January 1, all the way through. And as you, just one page for each section of Psalms, and then he's just got one psalm, a little thought, and then a prayer that you can actually pray. And I've been doing this now, and it's, it has just been so helpful. It's been great. So if, I've put the name of this book as a resource on the bottom. If you want to go to Amazon like I did and buy a copy, you're, you're welcome to do that. It's been helpful for me. Now, I know that many of you today will, will hear what I have said and what Jesus has said, and you will hear it with a willing spirit. In other words, your heart will be stirred with, yes, I need to work on these habits. In particular, I need to work on the habit of prayer. But the alarm will go off tomorrow morning and you'll be tired or you will have pushed the snooze one too many times. You'll be busy and you'll say, you know what, I'll start praying on Tuesday, Wednesday, next week. And a year from now will come and you won't have developed this habit. Not because you weren't willing. You just didn't work at it. But I know a few of you, God will stir in your heart, and you will pair that stirring with action. And come Monday morning, the alarm will go off, and you will be tired. And the thoughts of the day and all, that are, all the demands of the day will flush, will flush into your mind and run into your mind. And you will get out of that bed, and you will sit in that chair, or you will get on your knees, and you'll pray. Maybe just for two minutes. Maybe just the Lord's Prayer. And then Tuesday, you'll do it again. And then Wednesday, you may not. But then Thursday, you say, you know what, I'm, I'm serious, and you'll do it again. And then Friday, and then you'll maybe punt the weekend, and you'll get back at it Monday, and you'll, you'll get better and better and better. And a year from now, you'll be different. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the rain. We remember what your word says, that your, your words are like rain that falls to the earth. That before the moisture returns to the heavens, 
it accomplishes its purpose of bringing life out of the soil. And so we ask that as your word has rained on our hearts and our souls, that, that you would bring life where there has been death. You would bring hope where there's been discouragement. You would bring joy where there's been sadness. And I pray that many of us in this room would put in the time and the trouble to learn how to pray. Teach us to pray. Wherever we're at, whatever stage we're at in learning how to pray, whether we're at the very beginning and just need to stick with the training wheels for a while, or whether we're ready to start moving through the Psalms, teach us to pray so that we might see more than just the visible world and wrap our hearts around more than just what our eyes see. Help us. We ask for help. We thank you for being our Heavenly Father. We pray this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.